So welcome back. Happy to see everybody made it back, I think. Can you hear me back there? Yeah? Very good. So we're going to continue our with the practice where we've been. Louder. Can you hear me? Yeah? Louder. Okay. I think this could be taped to my Tape. Yeah. Yeah. If you get to where you can't hear me, please let me know, okay? All right. So we're going to um, come back to our practice. And we're going to begin with a contemplative time, a little bit of meditation. So, again, just finding yourself in a comfortable seated position whatever posture that you prefer that makes your body feel at ease. On the cushion, or the chair, or the stool. I'm going to invite you to be aware of your spine by stacking one vertebrae on top of the other. Just all the way up. I notice that when I tuck my chin just a little bit, the crown of my head goes up towards the sky. It might be a comfortable position to try. Just allowing our eyes to close. And as we begin our relaxed, tranquil, and alert position, let's take a few deep breaths together through our nose. Just take a couple of deep breaths and let it out. Allow the body to really let go on the outgoing breath. A couple of deep breaths. See what you can drop, dropping the shoulders away from the ears on the exhalation. Just settling in. Again, finding your seat. And as you breathe, be aware of the aliveness that is, that is you. The aliveness. The aliveness of this body.
and allowing the mind to be an open sky. Opening up to the vastness in this aliveness. Breathing into it and noticing the body's natural peace and ease. Or the body's natural state of peace and ease in this open awareness. And as you breathe into it, notice what's arising for you. Whatever is drawing your attention, whether it's something in the body or emotion or thought, just hang out with it. Allow your awareness to expand and hang out with whatever is going on. Being with the present moment. peace and ease. And as thoughts and emotions come up, see if you can bring the awareness like a flowing river, noticing what drifts past. Just watching them pass by, resting in awareness.
allowing the mind to be tranquil and alert. creating a sense of peace and ease. We continue with this, this practice that is nonstop as we incubate here for the next two days now. There's, um, at, I was, um, I'm a Kripalu yoga teacher and at Kripalu, I don't know if it still exists, but there was this program that happened where they blackened the windows and everybody came in and you slept there day and night. Remember that? Yes, I do. 
that doesn't happen anymore, I'm sure. It happens differently, but it does. Does it? Happen. Does it? It feels like that. It was like they literally, a room full of people, your beds would be here, you, they blackened the doors, you stayed inside, and you incubate together. And it kind of feels like, I, I, I kind of wish we had that. And so we're, we're kind of creating that in another way where we're actually really in this together, this practice, and really going as deeply and understanding it from all the different voices that are up here in the movement and all of it being integrated and understanding the deep integration of this practice in general, right? I, I always feel like when I think about the Buddha and the Dharma and the teachings you know, I've been doing this for a few years and I rarely hear anything new, you know? It's like we say kind of the same things in different ways and yet it continues to hit in a new place. It continues to deepen. And, and so you're going to find that, I think. I mean, we're, we're kind of saying um, there's some beautiful, lots of different lists and things that the Buddha has um, that came down from him and, um, and so you'll t- hear that and we'll teach that and, and you'll get it a lot here if you come back to Spirit Rock and all over different places where they teach the Dharma. And a lot of it is a repetitive letting go, really. Becoming present, letting go, seeing life as it is, accepting it as it is, letting go of it having to be any different. And being kind and developing kindness, that, that, that compassion in your heart for yourself and for others and just creating less suffering in the world. That's kind of the recipe. And so I'm going to continue with that. And um, from another lens, a little bit of a lens, from the Eightfold Path. So we talked about, John talked about the Eightfold Path earlier this morning. And he really emphasized wise intention. And so this eightfold path is this recipe that comes at the end, it's the last of the fourth, the fourth noble truth that is, okay, so life is challenging, there's a reason for it, peace is possible, and this is how. And so this is the this is how part. And there are eight steps that the Buddha gave us that actually are really Simple and brilliant. And you notice that some of the most brilliant things you learn are really things you already know. Right? They're simple and they touch a place of, aha, I knew that. I just maybe didn't say the words or didn't have the language in the same way. But this Eightfold Path is stunningly beautiful and simple. And starting with the intention, like what John was talking about, you know, really bringing your intention into the work that you want to do for yourself in this lifetime. I mean, you know, what is the lifetime that you want? What is that lifetime that you want? And so I'm going to talk about two of the other parts of that Eightfold Path that... um, One that is, I think, I don't hear a lot that's a little less talked about, and that's wise effort and wise action. 
Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about wise effort and wise action and as a part of that Eightfold Path. I love what John said this morning about, um, so there's the three aspects of the Eightfold Path. There's, in those eight steps, there are three different categories, so all of them are under one of those three categories. And they are the, the wisdom aspect and the morality aspect, which you change to harmony. I will never use morality again. <laughs> I love it. The harmony aspect, because that's exactly it, right? Living harmoniously in, in within oneself. So that, you know, there's not that place of, ooh, I said something, I know, um, you know, there's that struggle in you, or you did something, there's that struggle in you. Because pretty much we were raised with, you know, the do's and don'ts of life and the things that cause suffering to other people and to ourselves. So this morality or this, this harmonious aspect is beautiful, beautifully said. So thank you for offering me that. And then there's a concentration aspect as well. So those are the three different aspects that the eight different steps lie under. And so wise effort is under the concentration aspect um, along with mindfulness and concentration itself. And wise action is under the harmony aspect, um, along with wise speech and wise livelihood. And so, I'm, and, and as Sylvia said earlier as well, they're all really interconnected. I mean, you know, we have language, and so language has to say things and talk about things and diagnose things in ways so that we understand each other, else how do we understand each other? However, language is inadequate, because honestly, all of this is connected. It's all a part of each other. There's nothing that is really very separate. So when you hear intention, some of the things I'm going to say, you're probably going to ask, well, what's the difference between that and intention? And I might have an answer. So, but we're going to, but I'm going to talk about those things right now. So beginning with, with effort, wise effort. First of all, it sounds hard, right? I mean, when you hear of effort, it's one of those things that I kind of go, ooh, effort. Um, but the reality is that everything we do and don't do actually requires effort. Effort is a part of that silent part, that part that we don't really notice so much. But then sometimes we do notice it when we don't have it. And so, wise effort is not a striving kind of effort. It sounds like strive and make something happen, wise effort. And that's not what this is. It's not that go out and strive to do something. It's more like the effort that you need, for example, to avoid disaster, okay? So something's up ahead, whether it is something in your mind, someone that's coming towards you, someone that you know, someone maybe someone that's difficult for you, a situation. And it takes effort to not engage in something that you know is unhealthy and unwholesome. That's the kind of effort that we're talking about in the Eightfold Path. It's also the effort to make something wholesome as well. So there's the avoiding something and there's making something happen. So I think that 
we all have so many examples in our life. How many times have you come up to a situation, let's just say, that you know this is going to go down really bad? Okay? You've seen this movie before. You may have engaged with this person before or this situation before. And you saw yourself maybe acting out in a ways that, you know, maybe you got them, but how did that feel afterwards? And so the effort that it takes to take another path is what this effort is about. The effort to take another path, a wholesome path, a path that's going to lead to less suffering for you, for other people, for the situation. It really takes effort to do that. How many times in your mind have you thought, I mean, you know, the proverbial Thanksgiving dinner with the relative that thinks differently may have a political, different political view. I have an um, ex-father-in-law who I love dearly. I mean, we have so much fun together and we have completely opposite political views and he's the one person that I, I can actually laugh with him because I'm at that place where I do that with him. And I also take another path. I avoid certain conversations, right? And he just on Father's Day, okay, so he lives in Boston, I live here, and I call him up. And, and the first thing we do is we almost laugh at the fact that we're avoiding talking about that thing that's going to upset us. And so we both have within us this, 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 we make the effort to be kind and to be loving because that's there. That's most of it, actually. 90% of it is that. And so we make that effort and I feel his effort as well and I appreciate it. I really appreciate it because it could be different. And so he is actually... He is actually someone that I, is absolutely my practice. You know, a beautiful place for me to practice all the time. With love. Because I do, I have so much love for him. You know, and then there's the ones that are more difficult, for me, anyway. Um, You know, I currently have a really difficult situation with a business partner. And I, because of my practice, I am absolutely able to, when I don't make, when I see myself going down a conversation with somebody else, oh yeah, she did blah, 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 right? And I see that, I'm, and it's like, is that wise, it's not wise speech? I know it, and I feel so drawn to say it because I just need to say it. And I take the effort sometimes not to, and other times I'm just not that good at it, you know, honestly. And I catch myself, and I take then the effort to, to do it differently. And I notice how much better it feels when I actually take the effort to do it differently. What, what am I getting out of that, honestly? You know, I'm right, you're wrong. 
not worth it, how that feels. I mean, I am so sensitive now from this practice. I'm so sensitive when I am, you know, not using wise speech or wise effort or wise action. It's, it hurts. It actually hurts. And, you know, I can rein it in most of the time. (laughs) So effort, wise effort is really important. And it's like, again, it's like being on that road. And I almost wish that there were signs every time you get to that road, you know, that says suffering, not suffering. And big blaring suffering, not suffering. And you can just go to not suffering and forget all that's in your mind and all the things that are coming up for you. And you just go towards not suffering, right? But it's not quite like that until you develop those signs, right? With this practice, I've been able to, you know, they're not all the time red neon flashing. But that's, what's, that's what we're talking about here. That's the path. Take the effort to take a different path. The effort to take a different path. To cultivate wholesome qualities of the mind. It takes effort to let go of what is unwholesome. It really takes effort to let go and move toward that which is wholesome. So there's a couple of different parts of this effort, unwise effort, that I want to talk, aspects of, of wise effort. And I've, I've touched on them, but I'm going to kind of hit them a little bit more. So when unwholesome thoughts and emotions arise, we use wise effort to overcome them. Sometimes it just comes up, it arises, those unwholesome thoughts and emotions, and then it takes wise effort to overcome them, to move them, to change them, to arrest them, to to do something different with them. It takes effort to avoid the unskillfulness that we all have. So many times we do so many things that we regret. Little regrets. Not the big regrets in the world. You know, there's all these big regrets. I don't know how many big regrets I have, but I have a whole lot of little regrets. Right? Those little bitty regrets of little infractions of things that I know better. Those kinds of, that kind of chip at the personality, that chip at you. And that's what this practice is about, is being able to change that and to cultivate and be more skillful, being more skillful with our thoughts and our emotions. And how this also, again, how all of the Eightfold Path is connected, because wise mindfulness, which we've been talking about and we'll continue to talk about, has its place because the more we become mindful, the more we actually see our minds. We see how we think. We see how the mind works. And the more you see, the more you're aware that awareness comes. That awareness comes then the effort that it takes, to, that awareness comes, and then you use your effort to, 
to move it into a new path, a path of skillfulness and wholesomeness. So it's all interconnected. And there's the effort, then there's the effort to develop wholesome thoughts. There's the ones to avoid or to transform. And then there's ones to develop wholesome thoughts. So it takes a lot of effort to do that. And that's just practice. It goes back to the word practice. We keep saying practice. This is a practice, and we'll be practicing it until we, till the end, right? It is, I love the word practice. One of the things that I know is that the more you practice, the better you get. What you practice gets stronger. Whatever you practice gets stronger. If you practice kindness and goodness, that'll get stronger. If you practice hate, that'll get stronger. If you practice love and all of that, whatever you practice gets stronger. And so developing wholesome thoughts and emotions, it takes practice. It takes effort. Because it's the effort of tapping into loving kindness and compassion that we actually do have, that we, who we are, who we really are. Tapping into that compassion. Because when we tap into that, then the effort, the effort to tap into that and to transform unskillful thoughts and behaviors. And lastly, there's the effort to maintain wholesome thoughts and emotions. So how do we maintain them? Okay, that's an important part as well. And once we maintain them, they turn into wise action. And I'm going to talk a little bit about wise action. Wise action. So wise action is... um, it's basically a direct outward response to the effort that we take. We make the effort and we create an action from that. It's, a, it's effort in motion, right? And I think wise action is pretty self-explanatory. It's kind of easily understood. Acting in ways that, acting in ways that, don't, that doesn't cause harm to yourself and to others. It's pretty simple to say. (laughs) It's pretty simple to say. And we create actions all the time that may not follow that prescription. John started with uh, the precepts. Those are also wise action, right? The precepts that he mentioned that we, about not taking a life, abstaining from taking a life, abstaining from not taking things that you're not given, that are not given to you from sexual misconduct, harmful speech, and intoxicants. All of those are wise actions. But then in the day-to-day, there's all these other wise actions, choices that we make. There's so many choices. Life is just filled with choices. Sometimes we don't think of them as a choice. We just are on automatic And that's why mindfulness is so important. It comes in and it says, slows things down, first of all, slows it down. And you see that 
there's an action, maybe something that happens, a stimuli, stimulus happens. And when you slow it down, you create this gap. You create a space where choice is. Right in that gap is where choice is. And where wisdom is. And where liberation is. And where freedom is. And all those things live in this little gap. And if we can create those gaps, then we can move into wise action. Make that choice rather than this immediate response. Does that make sense? I notice it all the time, again, in my difficult situation with my difficult person. I, I used to sit right like in an office right across from each other, right? So hard. And, you know, things would be said and I could feel the hairs come up on my back. I could feel the temperature rising. And this practice has absolutely allowed me to not be foolish, basically, you know, and not do things that I absolutely am going to regret. And to take that space. And to come from a place of more wisdom and and less suffering. Because suffering begets suffering begets suffering. It's out of control. So wise action is really, really an important part and of our life and choices that we make. I mean, you know, there's wise action in the dining room, right? I don't think we've had too much cupcakes yet or cookies yet, but they're coming. <laughs> And it's then, you know, right, when you're right there at the cookies and it's like, okay, I'm going to take one. And maybe I'll take one for later. (laughs) And later is right immediate, right? And you eat them both. And right in that moment, as you, that action that you take, something is telling you that's not too wise maybe for your body. For some people it is, but for others it isn't. And we act on it. And then what happens? Suffering. It's like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I eat that? Am I the only person that that happens to? (laughs) No? Yeah, right? Never happened to you. Yeah, never. And that's kind of the kind of action. And, you know, again, these little sufferings that add up, those kind of sufferings add up to pounds, right? (laughs) Unwanted pounds, maybe. And so we have an opportunity all the time to make choices around our actions and making wise actions and choosing wisdom, choosing wholesomeness and not being driven by desire, not being driven by an untrained mind. And that's all we're doing here is talking about how do we train our mind so that it becomes more and more natural to make better and better choices, less suffering. We're training our mind by slowing it down, 
right? Calming the entire body, the whole system, the nervous system. And just being able to see and be aware and open up this awareness and allowing yourself to to really become aware of life just how it is. You know, I, I think about also those actions in love relationships that can be difficult and particularly when they're ending, you know, and maybe you have more feelings than for the person than they have for you. Oh gosh, it's terrible to be on either side of it, really. And, you know, you've decided not to call each other and you really want to call <laughs> and you and you're struggling with it and you just oh, you just pick up the phone and call and, and when you get on the other end it's like not good and more suffering that that desire that desire that that kind of desire that drives us training the mind around desire that creates the kind of suffering. I mean, that was the second noble truth. Like, we know there's, there's, life is challenging and there's a reason. And it's our unbridled desires that, with an untrained mind. So that's what we're doing here, if you were wondering. <laughs> you know? We're here to do it differently for ourselves and for those who we impact, those who are around us. Imagine the world with this kind of training. It'd be a different kind of world, I think. So the whole of the Eightfold Path is really how to express an enlightened heart and mind. And again, there's simple steps, but how do we actually train ourselves to, so that that becomes our default? Like throwing out the old OS system and bringing in a new operating system based on the Eightfold Path. Wouldn't that be amazing? If we could just like get rid of this operating system and bring that one in. So without that kind of ease, we have to do what we're doing. It takes time and it takes practice. And as we sit quietly and we calm the mind, we get to see what is needed to bring benefit to ourselves and to the world. So we're going to mindfully, as Jashoda was showing us, 
take a small break. Being mindful of standing, moving, step by step. And we'll come back in 10, 15. We'll come back at 8 o'clock and we're going to rely on you to actually monitor yourselves and come back. Yeah? And I will ring the bell in here, but there's no bell ringer out there, so please come back at by 8 o'clock. And when you come back, come back standing. Okay? You come back in the room standing. Thank you.
I'm just testing. This is just a test. Isn't it nice that there really is just sitting and walking and standing and lying down? I mean, that's the life, right? And uh, the Buddha said that uh, we can practice in all of those postures. So right now, and I love that Kanda said that wise action is the manifestation of wise effort. That just makes it really easy for me. So if I'm, if I'm being wise, then my actions will manifest in that way of loving kindness and peace and tranquility. I have to stand a little further away. So if you would, please, just bring your feet underneath your frontal hip bones and, and t- make an intention to let this be a few minutes of wise effort of really getting to know what's inside this body-mind. So if you would just pick up your toes and spread them, lift them and spread them, and then see if you can put them down one toe at a time. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. It's just a matter of knowing. And then feel the the balance between the left and the right. You might even want to rock from side to side. And if you trust your body, it will take you right into the center point. And you'll know it because there's kind of, for me, it's kind of like, aha. So there's a way that you know you're in the center, standing more or less balanced between left and right. And then try rocking a little back and forth so you can feel the, the ball of the foot and then back to the heel. And again, here too, you can ask your body to guide you to that center point. So at Kripalu, we call wise effort, effortless effort. So it means that it takes away that whole idea of striving. It's just what is coming forth. So feel that and then find that center point and let your eyes close so that you begin to know this center point of your own body-mind. And I think when in the center point 
it's easier to find the center of the heart, that place where resides the all-knowing, all-loving part of yourself. You know, they say that the, the main practice of yoga is really meditation. And the movement is to purify the body and the mind, as Kanda was talking about. Purification of the mind so that we find that, that place of peace and quiet inside, upon which we can notice what's actually happening and what we can do to further that in the direction of healing all beings. Clasp your hands together and press them away. Really draw the shoulder blades off the back body. Press a little harder. Bring the thumbs forward and then bring the pinkies forward. And slowly inhale the arms up overhead. Now reach up, 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 right out of your waist. Lift the belly out of the pelvic floor. Really go for it. Wiggle your way right up there, right out there. And then slowly, as you bend your knees a little bit, bend backwards just a little bit, just enough to open the front body. And then take a few deep breaths right into the front body and see if you can visualize that breath coming right in through the crown of your head and down through the center of you. And then as you exhale, let the breath ride back up and out through the crown. If your toes are grabbing the floor, soften them. Remember the instruction, relax. One more breath here. So press it up, open it up, press it back. And then as you inhale, lengthen the body back to center. And as you exhale, draw the arms down, keep the hands, and round the spine. Lift the abdominals up and in, round the spine, drop the chin to your chest. Press it away, press it away, soft knees, soft feet. And then once again, inhale it, coming all the way up overhead, stretch it up, stretch, take a breath in, hold it. Let it grow inside of you. And when you need to, let it go. And one more breath. Press it up. Take a breath in. This time, press the sternum up. Slight back bend. And then as you exhale from the ground, bring the body back to center. Bring the arms down just about shoulder height. Round the spine, draw the abdominals in. Hmm. Take a breath here. This time as you breathe out, exhale and hold the breath out for a moment. When you need to breathe, take the breath in. Inhale the arms up, exhale them all the way out and down to your sides. Whew. And my... Glasses are heating up. <laughs> and then close your eyes, please, so that you can get in, in touch with the experience inside of you. Hmm. Inhale your left shoulder up to your ear, and as you exhale it down, inhale the right shoulder up. So move from side to side, just the shoulders moving up. You might find that the head moves down towards the shoulders, but see what happens if you keep the the crown of your head up towards the sky and just move the shoulders 
up and down. You can feel the, the shoulder blades moving, the shoulder socket moving. So we get to know ourselves intimately. And one more, each side, left and right. And then release them both down. Press the left shoulder forward and the right one back. And then do that a few times. Find the breath that moves with the, with the body. So it might be an inhale when one shoulder goes forward and an exhale when the other shoulder goes forward. Let your hands be soft and your fingers relaxed. And then let this movement move a little deeper into a little twisting action. You know, they say a good movement class moves the spine in its six directions. Forward, back, side to side, and twist. Spines love to twist. I think it's their dharma to twist. Releasing all the toxins into the bloodstream to be released. And then bring the body back to center. And again, don't miss it. So there's the action and then there's the response. So don't miss the response, which will train you to notice more deeply the responses in your life. Begin to circle the one shoulder at a time, circling it forward or back. I don't care which way your body will take you. And breathing as you move the arms. You can get the elbows and the hands involved. So make it yours. This is yours. This is your time, your retreat. And the way we're here with each other. Hmm. And then find that place where you can reverse the movement and move your shoulders in the opposite direction. So if you find that you're locking your knees, soften them. Mm. If you're locking your mouth or your jaw, soften that as well. And then bring that movement to stillness. Take a breath and feel. And then both shoulders at a time, inhaling and circling them. And get these circles to now begin to grow big. So you can move your arms into the circles. You can do it your way, you know. It's your dance with the universe. This is mine. Nobody else can do your dance but you. So it's back to that wise effort for wise action. Sometimes wise action is simply listening. Find a place to go in the opposite direction. It's just simply listening to your body, listening to your heart, and then manifesting or acting from there in gladness and in safety. Take one more deep movement. Hmm. And let your arms come back by your sides. Hmm. Take a breath or two here. Bring your hands to your hips and see if you can just circle the upper torso. It might take a, a more of a bend in the knees to support you in circling the upper torso. And see if you, if it, if you engage the abdominals, what, how that helps or not. And let the body just move in its own way. In fact, if you soften your eyes, you can really just feel into the movement. So it's the upper torso just circling around. And then find a place where it reverses. 
and you go in the opposite direction. And if you're sitting in a chair, you can also find a way to move inside of yourself. One more, bring it around, and then come on back to standing. This time, bring your hands to your shoulders and set, spread your arms wide. Draw the shoulder blades back together. So feel what happens in the front body when you contract in the back body. And then bring the elbows together and feel what happens in the back body when you move forward. And then do that a few times, just in and out, getting out the, the kinks of getting here. of sitting and walking, eating, sitting, eating, sleeping. And then begin the big circles now with your elbows leading. Hmm. So there's nowhere to go but here, now. And in the way of being effortless, there's effort, but it's effortlessly. And coming back in the opposite direction. So is the breath there with the movement? Is there a natural place for the inhale and an organic place for the exhale? Can you slow it down even more? Remember that slowness induces awareness and then follow in the opposite way. Mm, I can hear my cracks. <laughs> mm, one more. Make it the most meaningful of all. And then release the hand, shake out the hand, shake out the wrist, shake out the elbows, the arms. Get the body shaken. <laughs> Really, woo, great, and release your hands. Bring your hands to your belly. Close your eyes for a moment and, and let the breath come in and out of this belly. And feel the, the hands rise as the breath comes in and fall back as the breath goes out. And slow that breathing down. And at the same time, can you feel your feet on the earth? Can you experience your legs holding your torso up? Can you feel the, the way the hips sit on the hip sockets? And can you feel the spine behind you? long and luxurious. And then feel the way the head sits on the shoulders and sits on the neck. 
Bring your arms now by your sides. Turn your palms out. Inhale, slowly the arms out to the sides. Spread the fingers and bring the arms about shoulder distance up overhead. So in, in yoga posture, this is called the mountain pose or tadasana. Inhale the shoulders up to the ears and feel again the contraction. And then relax the shoulders down. Keep the arms engaged, the fingers extended. And the head, the crown of the head is neutral. So there's a softness in the throat. Hmm. And then bring the corners of your mouth up towards your ears. That is a really best instruction. Take one more breath in. This time hold it. As you slowly exhale, release the arms out to the sides. Turn the palms down towards your body and bring the hands right along the sides of you. And feel where you are right now. The, the ever answer to the ever question, what's happening now? Tell yourself what's true. And then can you relax even more? Mm. And in this same manner of ease and tranquil, which I can feel, find your seat that's steady and comfortable. Notice how it happens. Tranquil, calm, alert. This supports a deep letting go. The deep letting go that deeply uproots the sources of confusion. It serves to release the heart from confusion. This letting go is a force of renunciation deeply supported by right effort that Kanda spoke about. A right effort supports right intention, the intention before every action. And as I said earlier, this letting go, this right renunciation is one of the three key aspects of right intention. So we're practicing 
renunciation here on the retreat. We're practicing letting go. Living very simply, Spirit Rock really provides everything we need for our practice here, but not much more. So it supports the letting go. So we can see more clearly what's really going on in the mind. We can be with a direct experience of sitting, standing, walking, lying down. Deeply supporting the natural clarity of heart and mind. So in the Buddhist practice, renunciants, monks and nuns, they give up everything except food, shelter, medicine, and clothing. It's inspiring to me as a practitioner, their dedication to practice, that they renounce all except those four things. Most of all, they're practicing though toward the same thing we are, to let go and renounce the forces of greed, aversion, and delusion. Greed defined as the, the wanting for what is pleasant or pleasurable. Maybe you experience it as the desire for the pleasant sit that you may have had in the afternoon. Uh, maybe it was a desire for cookies at the end of the food line. Experience aversion as maybe the aversion to the body discomfort you're feeling. It might manifest as, if only this body pain weren't present, then I'd be rolling with a practice right now. Or maybe the aversion to the person in the food line in front of you who seems to be going too slowly. Or maybe it's fear, fear that sometimes manifests as a face of aversion, fear of, Am I doing this right? Am I doing this well enough? Kind of this judgment force that really gets in the way of practice. And the delusion that is experienced is kind of a fogginess that doesn't see clearly, maybe doesn't see when the force of greed, aversion are present. So I wanted to tell a, a few stories tonight about renunciation and begin with one of my favorite stories of a renunciant. And it occurred a couple hundred years after the time of the Buddha, but I really think it's a inspiring story for our time. It's a story of King Asoka, who lived in Northern India, ruled a pretty large kingdom. So again, a couple hundred years after the time of the Buddha. And he was known as being a very brutal king. He ruled for 30 years, but I think it was maybe six or eight years into his ruling as king, he had already deported uh, over 200,000 people. So interesting for me to learn that, that deportations going on on a large scale, even at that time. It was reported that 175,000 people died in battles because he was at war with the neighboring kingdoms and was known as being unkind to his own people. And after one particularly brutal battle, the carnage on the battlefield, the battle that ended, the king was on the battlefield and he saw a renunciate, a monk, who was walking right through the middle of the battlefield, serene and at peace. 
And the king was moved to ask him, how can you be so serene? How did this come to be? And the monk replied, before I tell you his reply, I'll tell you what the monk might have done. The monk might have seen that battlefield, the carnage, and let the force of greed take hold. Maybe looked to the side and saw a forest and thought that forest looks much more pleasant. I'll go to what's pleasant, desirable, pleasurable. Go that direction. The monk might have gotten angry. As the king spoke, he might have said to the king, look what you've done. Look at all the people who've lost your lives, their lives. How could you do this? He might have reacted with delusion. He might have just, in effect, put on blinders so that he didn't see what was present and just ignored the king when the king spoke to him. But he was practicing with right effort and right intention, practicing to let go of the forces of greed and aversion and delusion, even in this very difficult circumstance. So he responded with kindness, compassion, wisdom, even to this person who was responsible for for all the carnage in the battlefield. And what he did was to simply share the Buddha's teachings. And the king was so moved by hearing those teachings that he became a practitioner. And he became known as a benevolent king to his people, ended the wars with the neighboring kingdoms, and ruled for a long period of peace. And his sons, his son and his daughter also became practitioners, and they carried the practice to Sri Lanka. And from there, the practice was carried to Burma. And many of the teachers in the spirit rock tradition, most of all, uh, trained in Burma. We practice Theravada meditation, which has its roots back to Burma and Sri Lanka. So think of that. We're, we're directly connected in this moment to that monk whose name is unknown, who is practicing wisely. Really an amazing thing. So it moves me to think we don't know how our actions in the world that are rooted in what is wholesome, wholesome being non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion, actions of kindness, compassion, actions of peace rooted in this intention of kindness and peace and compassion. We don't know how those impacts may be carried through into the future. So with this practice, we can really become, I like to say, lights in the world. We may not know it. We may not know what the impact may be for others. But most of all, we're practicing right here to open to this purity of heart, to this purity of understanding. So a beautiful quote on renunciation from Ajahn Chah that some of you may have heard before, one of my favorite quotes. It says, let go a little and you'll have a little peace. Let go a lot, you'll have a lot of peace. Let go completely and you'll have complete peace. Your struggles with the world will have come to an end. 
I love that last line, your struggles with the world will have come to an end. But we have to pay attention. We can't just lie down and let go. <laughs> In some ways I would prefer this quote to read, pay attention and let go a little, pay attention a lot, pay attention and let go a lot, pay attention and let go completely. Because we have to maintain mindfulness with our practice at all times for the whole of our lives. So when we open to this factor of renunciation, of letting go, what often comes forth is a sense of enoughness, a feeling like what we have in life is enough, that we really don't need a lot more things for happiness. Can really support an opening to gratitude for the things we do have in our life. Just looking out the window on the break and seeing the nature in the sky and the moon starting to come up in the sky, I was feeling gratitude. And when our hearts too open to gratitude and generosity, kindness, compassion naturally spring forth too with that underlying sense of enoughness, of not needing more. And overall, this, this intention of letting go, letting go of the forces of greed, aversion, delusion, this, what can be simply characterized as, as this contention with the present experience. With the letting go, then there's that natural opening to tranquility and calm and a very clear alertness to see and know things as they are to see what leads to happiness and what leads to suffering. We begin to watch for the road signs, as Kanda said, and the warning bells of what leads to suffering and what leads to peace. What leads to suffering is a contentiousness with a present experience. What leads to peace is an acceptance of things as they are. And also what supports the opening to peace is seeing when the forces of greed, aversion, and delusion are present, when the wanting mind is present. Usually just the seeing of it is enough to let go. Sometimes we can see it. I like to use a noting tool, let go. So maybe if I'm in the food line, I'm impatient with a person in front of me, to note impatience. Ah, let go. <laughs> can be many, many opportunities to say let go during the day especially as we bring more attention to the activities of the mind. Often it's, it's the resistance to the situation that is the cause of the greatest suffering. When I came into practice, one of the things that brought me to practice here was discomfort in the body. I would really call it pain in the body. And I really hated this pain. <laughs> and I felt I really had to get rid of it to be happy. So my objective in being here on retreat was to get rid of it. <laughs> and I sat down and practiced and told the teachers and they instructed me to be present with a direct experience in the body, to name the sensations, pulsing, heat, throbbing, 
Maybe the emotions have started to arise. All supporting kind of a purification process, a purification of the heart, purification of understanding. To be present for the direct body experience without the added layer of resistance, without that added layer of contention. The sensations were unpleasant, but over time, as a purification process unfolded, the attitude of the mind to those sensations shifted. No longer was there a sense of being at war with the sensations. They're just sensations, sometimes neutral, sometimes unpleasant. But what I learned in in this experience was that about 99% of the pain was caused by the resistance, by the contention. I know it isn't always that way. Sometimes there's pain in the body that doesn't shift from the, um, from bringing attention in that way. So it is different at different times, but oftentimes it is that layer of resistance and contention that greatly magnifies uh, pain in the body and can greatly magnify the pain in the mind too. There's a letting go of things needing to be any particular way. And as we said earlier, we we still have preferences in life. You know, if you ask me now, would I have preferred cookies be served tonight? I I would say yes, I would have preferred to get a cookie. It's not a big deal though. The story of this from His Holiness the Dalai Lama who visited the uh, Gethsemane Monastery some years ago, a Catholic monastery in Kentucky. And he was given a tour of the monastery and uh, they make cheese and they make fruitcake at this monastery. And at the end of the day, he told uh, the monks and other people who were there that he kept being offered cheese throughout the day. But what he really wanted was a piece of fruitcake and he was never offered that. (laughs) And he laughed and he laughed about it. So he could note his preference and laugh about it, but not get stuck on it. He wasn't suffering as a result of not getting what, what he wanted. I'm sure they offered him a piece of, of fruitcake at the end of the day though. So as I was preparing my uh, notes and for, the, uh, for being here on the retreat, I'd just been working on these notes. I went out for dinner with my partner, one of our favorite restaurants, very small restaurant, usually just eight or nine entrees on the menu. And uh, I looked at the menu and about five items in the menu looked really great, having a hard time deciding, decided what I, what I chose. Three items looked not so good and one was definite no. So they made a mistake. <laughs> they brought out the definite no. <laughs> great opportunity for practice, practicing renunciation. I'll take it, I never would have ordered that. Let me see what it's like. It was a relief. It was a relief to take that and to take what was in effect offered. They recognized their mistake. They said, we'll we'll prepare another dish. But by taking it, I had the opportunity to practice letting go. I had the opportunity to eat my meal at the same time as my partner. I actually felt a melting away, like the heart open. The server um, was very kind. Felt like we kind of connected as a result of that experience. And uh, the server said, well, 
we'll treat you for your, your dinner tonight. So the generosity that naturally opens. And then, then he treated us to a dessert to share. And, uh, and then generosity, building on generosity, I gave one of the bigger tips I've given in recent times too. So it's a great thing about practicing with kindness and compassion and generosity. They all tend to build on each other. So, practice of cultivating, cultivating what is wholesome, cultivating what is not rooted in needing or wanting the experience to be different than it is. Using the intention of supporting tranquility, calm, alertness, a real attitude of letting go. And maybe try out that tool of noting, letting go. Maybe, maybe in a sitting, when your mind gets lost in thought, I'm sure everyone has experienced that already on the retreat, mind spins off on thought two or three minutes later, realize the mind's been lost in thought. You can just note thinking and then gently drop in, let go. Let go to be back in the breath body experience. That moment of letting go is a moment of peace. No clinging whatsoever in that moment of letting go. So the moments of getting lost can actually be a tool for coming back in a very deep way into practice to see and know what it is like if even for a moment to let go more deeply, to know a deeper peace, a deeper happiness, a deeper contentment it's possible as a path of practice. So this is uh, really the practice for our whole, whole of our lives. It's uh, often said the whole of practice is a practice of letting go more and more deeply. But we need to bring the tool of paying attention, of alertness, all of the tools of the Eightfold Path into practice to support this deeper letting go. So I think I'll end there and appreciate the, uh, your attention um, during this talk. And would now like to um, invite uh, a sitting. So I'll sit for about uh, 20 minutes or so. And we'll end with a metta Metta Sutta chant that you have a handout for at the end. So, I invite you to feel the body on the earth. We as teachers will be offering real common links in the instructions, but each of us will offer a little bit something different too, so you can see what, what works for you best to support your practice. A useful tool it can be to really connect in the body and even feel the touch points of the body on the earth. A way of arriving fully in the present moment to feel the sits bones on the chair or the cushion, maybe the legs, knees on the floor or the feet on the floor. 
maybe the hands touching or touching the legs. Are you feeling the contact points of the body? It's a great tool to use in arriving into the present moment. When we sit, we really take refuge in the present experience just as it is. Can invite a sense of calm, tranquility, alertness, maybe a sense of the spine being upright. Knowing too during the sit you can always open your eyes if you feel tired as a way of bringing some energy in or taking a few deeper breaths to support the arising of energy. Inviting a kind, gentle, relaxed awareness. Can also be useful to occasionally do a short body scan. Just maybe just for a minute to note from the top of the head, the face, neck, if there's any places of tension or tightness, just offering the invitation of softening, of relaxing, not trying to make it happen, but just the invitation. You can scan down to the shoulders and the upper and middle back and Continuing to just invite relaxation, sense of ease around any places of tension. And the lower back. And the chest. Perhaps the arms and hands. Softening in the belly. And the hips and pelvis. And down to the legs and all the way to the feet. can be useful just to use as an anchor the sense of the breath. Perhaps seeing where you feel the breath most strongly in the body, perhaps the chest or the upper or lower abdomen. or the upper lips below the nostrils. For some people, even the whole body. So this can just be a touch point, a touch point anchor to stay present for the moment to moment experience to return to again and again.
with the intention to let go to the experience just as it is. No need to judge or make anything happen. Inviting calm and ease, open to whatever the experience might be, of perhaps stronger sensations of the body. You can allow attention to go to that part of the body, or aware of sounds, thoughts, emotions in the field of awareness. Using the breath and the body gently as an anchor in a way that best supports your practice.
Uh, we'll end the evening with the chanting of the Buddha's words on loving kindness, a handout, one of the handouts from when you entered the hall. Beautiful words on loving kindness that I know Sylvia will be talking more about tomorrow. The uh, little introduction is the uh, triangle down, means an accent down. Uh, triangle up means um, accent up. So I'll give it a little demonstration. You'll also note that I don't carry much of a tune, but I love to chant. So <laughs> I'll just give a demonstration of these first two lines. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. So those of you who can, can carry a tune, help out. <laughs> and the uh, way it works is I'll start with the bracketed language, speaking those, wor those words myself. Now let us chant, so I'll speak that myself. And then we'll all start together with this is what should be done. Okay. Now let us chant the Buddha's words on loving kindness. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living being there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life 
her child, her only child. So with a boundless heart, should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So we come to the end of our first day of practice and I'm really appreciating all of you being here, your commitment to being here for this precious time, what it means for the world, what it may mean for the world in unknown ways, unknown to each of us, the benefits that may accrue from our practice, from our being here real precious opportunity to step out of the busyness of the world, to take refuge here on retreat, to take refuge here in community. So it might be that when you lie down in bed at night to take a moment to appreciate yourself for being here, to appreciate this day of practice. And you may still have energy for practice. So the hall is open all night. (laughs) So uh, feel free to continue to sit. And of course, the dining room is also open all night. So if you want want a cup of tea now or you wake up early and want a cup of tea, that's fine uh, to do that too. And uh, take take care of what your body needs. Maybe rest is what your body needs right now most of all. And we do encourage this continuity of practice, every, every moment a, a moment of practice. It may be tempted to think, ah, I can just take a break now. Uh, every moment a moment of practice. We can think the, the break time is a vacation. Ah, I can just be on vacation for a little bit. But really, I've come to learn that the practice, the practice is itself a vacation because the reward that comes with practice it's like when we practice wisely, the, the whole of our lives becomes like a great vacation. <laughs> so I encourage you just to know right now you're sitting. In a moment, you'll be standing for most of you. You may continue to sit. 
know that you're standing and then know that you're walking, even if just for a moment or two as you walk back to the to hall, to the to your residence hall, know that you're walking. And then as you lie down in bed at night, know that you're lying down. So you can use that little noting tool of sitting, standing, walking, lying down. Just knowing the postures of the of the body that the Buddha emphasized were to know. And uh, check out the night sky. I have a feeling it's a beautiful sky, maybe a beautiful moon. So maybe take gratitude in the moon and the sky and in nature too. So that ends our first day of practice and we'll be here at uh, 6.30 in the morning for the first sit. Blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.